changing language. I'm actually part of a bipartisan marriage. And when I was working DOJ and in the White House, my husband was working on Capitol Hill for senators who were directly opposed to the things I was working on. And so that's about as heated professionally as you can get, but we managed to get married in the midst of it. In 2008, Politico named my next guest one of the top 50 Politicos to watch. She served President Bush and tells her stories and heels in the arena, living purple in a red-blue town. Please welcome Jamie Brown Hampman to Self Talk Radio Show. Brought to you by Pure Energy Apothecary, people and planet-friendly skincare. Find them at Bed Bath & Beyond or online at pureenergybody.com. Welcome to Self Talk Radio Show. I'm Sarah Spencer. My next guest was a high-level White House aide where she spearheaded work with the U.S. Senate to get two U.S. Supreme Court justices confirmed. She ran legislative affairs for the Department of Justice shortly after 9-11, working with people like Bob Mueller and Ted Olson. In 2008, Politico named her one of the 50 Politicos to watch. Please welcome the author of Heels in the Arena, Living Purple in a Red-Blue Town, Jamie Brown-Hantman. Welcome, Jamie. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you. Your book is, I, I couldn't put it down. It's great. <laughs> Thank you. I you, love hearing that. <laughs> you've assisted a senator, served in the high-level positions at the Justice Department. How did you land this dream job? It is a classic Washington story. I started as an intern. Um, I came from a family that had no political connections. We were interested in politics, so I grew up with that, you know, around the table and having. Apparently, when I was a little toddler, um, the water, uh, Watergate hearings were on, and my parents said, "Pay attention to this. This is history." So that's the sort of house I came from. And so I guess it wasn't a big surprise when I became interested in potentially getting involved in public service once I hit high school and college. Um, so I, um, when I was in Washington, D.C. to attend the inauguration in 1989, I figured out where my home, my new home state senator was hosting a party, and I went into a big crowded ballroom completely uninvited and found him shaking hands in the corner of the room, put out my hand and introduced myself and told him that I hoped to intern for him that summer. Um, it, I was, my heart was beating so loud that I didn't, I couldn't even hear my own voice. Um, but I did manage to get the internship with my senator and I hustled really hard. That's one of the key pieces of advice that I have for interns is the work you're going to be doing is going to be well below your intellect. And the point is to do it with a great attitude uh, because they're looking um, largely at character and personality. Um, so that's what I did. I did what I had to do well and with a good attitude. And that opened doors for me to be able to uh, take a position as a legislative counsel to that senator once I was done with law school. Now, you wrote Heels in the Arena primarily. You, you wrote it for people more than just being a political book. What was, what was the driving force behind this and why now? What I did was I wanted to uh, share my experiences uh, so that I could provide some advice about lessons that I had learned along the way um, because I believe and I think you see it on a daily basis, people are really energized about our system of government uh, and want to make a difference. I mean, you just look at things like the Women's March back in um, 2017, and you look at the um, March for Our Lives um, that the students put on last year, and you can see that that political interest is at 
the highest level of my lifetime, certainly. Um, I wanted to provide a little bit of a roadmap for people who want to get involved and make a difference. And I make a point at the beginning of the book of saying, I'm not writing this to convince you about how you should, how I feel and that I want you to agree with me on topics like the Patriot Act or healthcare or any policy issue. I'm providing advice for people who are Democrats, Republicans, and none of the above, um, so that whatever reason brings them to Washington or to their local you know, state capital, that they're doing it well and doing it for the right reasons. You know, you told a funny story, and, and you told a lot of funny stories in this book. Thanks. Um, but there was one. Tried. There was one that really <laughs> stuck out for me because uh, you wrote about your childhood and groaning when Jimmy Carter was elected president, and yet you met him in person, and then you were just elated that you met the president. So yes. can you can you talk about that dichotomy? Because I've experienced that myself, and I I had to chuckle when I read the story. <laughs> Sure. So um, I write in the book about growing up in in you know what I would say you know a fundamentalist Christian uh, environment. Went to a Christian school. My family was really involved in the church, and so unsurprisingly, as an outgrowth of that, you know we were a Republican family. Um, and at that age, most kids, and especially I was a rule follower, so I certainly wasn't going to you know pull an Alex P. Keaton and and take different political position from my parents. You know uh, I sort of got my sort of original framing from them. And so I remember, you know, waking up at the day after the election and, um, you know, when Carter won back when he beat Ford and my parents were disappointed by that. So of course, you know, you take on your parents' positions. And so of course I was going to be disappointed too, even though I was in what, probably first grade or kindergarten at that point in my life. You were so um, worldly then, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, fast forward three years later and we were getting closer to, you know, the 1980, um, election. And um, President Carter was going to be making a stop in Newington, Connecticut, where I was going to school at the time. And, and he was going to be visiting a children's hospital right up the hill from our school. So the administration decided this would be sort of a cool opportunity for students and their teachers to, to walk up the hill and see the motorcade arrive. And so, you know, being a little conservative Christian school, you know, before we left, we all wrote up our little signs with conservative policy mes messaging, um, you know, walking up the hill, like, whoa, we're going to show him how we feel about, you know, X and Y issues. The word came down, hey, kids, put your signs away. Let's be respectful. So that was at least one piece of it that was avoided. But we get up there and we're all standing outside on the sidewalk right outside of the entrance to the hospital. And... All of a sudden, that presidential motorcade came around the corner, and the you know lead cars pull up, and then you see the the presidential limousine, and it pulls up, and you know the president gets out, and the governor of the state of Connecticut, and all of a sudden, I'm just screaming my full head off, jumping up and down, waving the little American flag, completely exhilarated. You know, obviously, the office of the presidency is one to be respected, regardless of, you know, what your little second grade opinions of policy might be. Uh, and he actually came over and uh, shook hands with my friends and me. And then the Hartford Current came by and interviewed a few of us. And um, my name was in the paper, probably the first time ever um, for shaking the president's hand. <laughs> from going to that, from that to your role as special assistant to the president for legislative affairs, what, what exactly is that? 
So in a nutshell, the best way to describe it is that I was one of the president's lobbyists. People were like, oh, one of those, you know, it's got a, a bad um, connotation to it. But um, lobbyists are a really important part of the process. It's protected by the Constitution. It's in the First Amendment that we can uh, petition our government. And, you know, for every, you know, lobbyist who might represent big soda or uh, tobacco company, you have lobbyists who represent, you know, the AARP and the American Kennel Club. So uh, it's it's a part of the process to provide information and um, forge consensus. Um, and, you know, being a lobbyist for the president is a unique position because uh, as my boss at the time described it, you're, you are standing on the ambulatory bridge between the great constitutional divide. You know, you've got these two separate but co-equal branches of government, and we were in the middle trying to navigate disagreements and uh, get the president's agenda uh, passed. So it was fun and challenging every single day. So take me to the opening pages of Heels in the Arena. <laughs> I love this. Okay, I'm just going to frame the picture for our listeners. She's on Air Force One, Senator Specter, President Bush, discussing the Alito confirmation. Can you take me through that story? Sure. So, um, right. I, you're probably wondering first, why are you on the plane too? And, you know, one of the keys to being in legislative affairs is that when the president is with members of Congress, you need to be there with him so that you know what's discussed and if anything is promised. And since uh, it was Senator Specter, he was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and I was liaison to the committee. So I was uh, in the president's office at the front of the plane and Carl Rove was in there, the president and Senator Specter. Um, Senator Specter excused himself to use the restroom. So then I was just sitting there with the president and Carl Rove. And the two of them started talking about uh, an event that had taken place at the White House the previous evening. It was um, some type of social gathering related to the arts. And the president mentioned that a mutual friend of theirs had been in attendance, somebody from out of town. And the president mentioned that um, this woman had lost a ton of weight she looked great. It was amazing, just really fantastic. And it sounded, I didn't know the person, um, but it sounded like one of those, you know, biggest loser transformations, like a <laughs> massive uh, change. And so then the president got a little more quiet and he started to nod his head. And then he follows up and goes, but you know, she looks older now. And without even thinking, I just blurt out, well, you know what they say, at a certain point, a woman has to choose between her face and her ass. <laughs> you know, and this th that phrase right there, I read the book and I said, that sounds like something I would have done. I would have forgotten my place. And I, yeah, oh, my God, yeah. what happened? I mean... So, yes. You said this to President floating Bush. In the air over us, and I had that, you know what, holy whatever moment of what <laughs> in the world. I said that out loud. Why did I do that? Um, so I had that moment of panic, um, but the president started to think and nod, and then he said, yeah, that's absolutely right. So I... <laughs> I was off the hook. It, it turned out fine. <laughs> How was it working with now was President Bush? Were there other presidents that you worked with? Um, I've, I've met um, a couple other presidents. Uh, he's the only president that I've worked for. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, interestingly, of course, while I was in that job for President Bush, President Obama was elected to the Senate. And so great memory that I have is, you know, when the new class of senators and, and Congress people coming into Washington to get, you know, their orientation and get sworn in, the, uh, we hosted a reception at the White House 
for the new new classes of, of members and Senator Obama came to that. And it was very clear even then in his first weeks in Washington that he was the rock star of that group. And, you know, he he was great. You know, I remember standing in a little circle of folks with him and a couple other folks from legislative affairs just chit-chatting. And he was funny and in good spirits. Um, and everyone in the White House press corps was taking all the pictures of him sitting in the back row with us um, during the official little welcome ceremony. So, you know interacted with a few different ones but obviously most of my time was was spent with president george w bush yes and i've heard he is a, an amazing person you know just very warm and very cordial Do, what was your take with being with him a hundred percent you know the person behind closed doors is what i think people see when he Leno with Ellen. Um, he is a funny guy and um, warm and cares about people uh, and is, you know, and it's great because it, it makes you really want to work your tail off uh, for the person when you know that what, what you see is what you get and, and uh, that whether you agreed with all of his decisions or not, he was there because he loves his country and wanted to make it a better place. And I think we've all seen you know, in the tributes to his father and, and his mother as they passed, that the Bush family is a family that loves their country and puts service to country above just about everything else. So it was a privilege to be able to help them however I could. We're speaking with Jamie Brown Hantman, the author of Heels in the Arena, Living Purple in a Red-Blue Town. And when we come back, we're going to talk to her about her reaction to George Bush and Ellen being in a football game. Also, more stories behind the scenes of Heels in the Arena when we come back on Self Talk Radio Show. Think websites are old-fashioned, out of touch with your core audience? Think again. While your tribe may love you on Instagram, you may be missing out on a whole client base that searches for you on Bing or Google. Then what? WebHelp US built Self Talk Radio Show's website, and I love it. Podcast uploads, open graph tags, SEO stuff, they do it all for me. WebHelp US, they even think of things like backing up my website, checking for viruses and stuff I frankly don't have time for. WebHelp US, professional websites for big picture people. WebHelpUS.com. Now, what did you think of the dust up between uh, when, when he was at the at the game with Ellen, that, that whole thing. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it makes me sad that there were enough people who took issue with it, that it became part of coverage because I think, you know, most people are happy to see people getting along. Um, and I think by and large, that was the prevailing feeling. And, you know, Ellen, uh, Ellen's uh, response to it on her show when she included some comments in her monologue, I, th I thought was spot on. And that's actually one of the things that I talk about in the book, because, you know, the subtitle is Living Purple in a Red-Blue Town, um, because I'm actually part of a bipartisan marriage. And when I was working uh, at DOJ and in the White House, my husband was working uh, on Capitol Hill for senators who were directly opposed to the things I was working on. And so that's about as heated professionally as you can get, but we managed to meet and fall in love and, and date and then eventually get married in the midst of it. And so uh, I think there's a, a helpful lesson there for people that politics shouldn't be the be all end all. We all love our 
country, right? Maybe except for some really extreme people on the fringe that are not worth talking about here. By and large, we all love our country. We may disagree about what the best solutions are for addressing policy issues that we have. But if you start from that framework, you can have respectful conversations about policy and not be questioning people's motives and also realize that there's more to life than politics and and it, it shouldn't get in the way of friends on both sides of the aisle. Amen to that. Boy, your dinner table must be interesting. (laughs) You know, it's, uh, and I write about this in the book. I mean, our politics are not officially as far apart as they used to be. I'm I'm one of those folks who, um, you know, feels differently about the current president than than uh, past presidents. And um, so I, I'm more of an independent at this point. Um, but, you know, we still uh, can have some disagreements about things and it keeps things fun. And that's the other thing that I realized, you know, when when we were working on different sides of the same issue, I actually learned so much by being able to have really in-depth conversations with my now husband about why he felt differently. And it in, it uh, sharpened my thinking about where I was coming from and sharpened my arguments. Um, and it, you know, I think it made me a better policy person to just, you know, as opposed to being in a silo where I just talk to people who agree with me. I think, I think it was really helpful um, for me professionally to be exposed to um, thinking that challenged where I was coming from. Do you think that uh, I, I'm, What's flashing in my head right now is Kellyanne Conway and her husband, because they are definitely yeah. um, opposite uh, on opposite ends of the spectrum. If you look at Twitter any at all, did you have something like that where it may have been delicate for you to balance between your family life, your love life, your you know husband and wife, and also your political professional life? <laughs> I would say so. I mean, nothing to the level of the Conways, and I would presume to know the dynamic there. I think every marriage is its own thing and known only to the people inside of it. But um, for, you know, I mentioned that my husband was working for people who were opposed to the things that we were working on. And to get really specific with it, uh, I mentioned, you know, that I was uh, working on the Supreme Court conference for Roberts and Alito. And at the time, uh, my now husband was Senator Chuck Schumer's chief of staff, and Schumer was the point person for Senate Democrats uh, opposing or, you know, working on the other side of these uh, nominations. And that's, you know, those were um, pretty high profile uh, things that were happening in Washington. That was sort of the top story of the day when that was going on for several months. And, we had to not talk about work a ton when we would see each other at the end of the day, um, which I actually think was a good thing because it's, you know, it's better to um, have a, a sort of a more varied relationship where you're talking about stuff other than work. DC is a company town. And so a lot of people tend to go home and just keep talking about the things they were talking about all day. And we did not have the luxury to do that. Uh, one t- time in particular that it was really acute, um, we took a little vacation in December of when all that was going on. It was after Roberts was confirmed and and Alito was had been nominated. And uh, we went down to uh, Florida and 
um, it was a Friday, it was my birthday weekend. So we would always, you know, get away and, and take a little mini vacation. And so um, we're out there by the water. I've got my Vogue magazine, taking the day off, enjoying myself. And David would come and go, you know, he, his boss loved to be on the phone. And so it wasn't unusual for him to have to step away for phone calls fairly regularly. And, and so that was going on. And, um, and then he said, well, why don't we um, grab some lunch? So we go back up to the room to freshen up and and go grab some lunch. I pick up my BlackBerry to just check email for the first time in a few hours. And there's a little breaking news alert that Senator Schumer had sent a letter to our judicial nominee demanding answers to uh, certain questions. And it was, you know, top headlines. And that had been going on right there oh, <laughs> man. with my boyfriend. Hadn't mentioned things like, yep, let's go eat. <laughs> so um, that was a an unusual situation, but we managed to make make it through just fine. Wow. Now, now do you, do you have kids as well? You, you have a daughter, right? I do. We have a daughter and she's nine in third grade. It's a wonderful age. <laughs> and what is her political persuasion? None of the above? <laughs> yes. She fortunately is much more fascinated by um, science and figuring out how to, you know, maybe go into outer space someday. So, um, you know, I think she's uh, you know, amused by all of it and knows since we live in the, in DC, that that's sort of what people do here. But, uh, you know, she's, she's interested in other things and we are encouraging that. So letting her be her own person. Was there a part of the book that you really loved writing about? Uh, so there's a couple things that come to mind on different ends of the spectrum. One from sort of an entertainment perspective, one of my favorite favorite things in the book is uh, there's a chapter about the lobbying world, which we've talked about a little bit already. Uh, I loved the official preppy handbook when I was a kid. I don't know how many of your listeners remember that or <laughs> I old do. enough to remember it. I thought it was just a great tongue-in-cheek uh, window into the world of preppy. And I was inspired by that and decided to do a tongue-in-cheek window into the world of lobbying. Um, some, you know, when people think of a lobbyist, they may think about a particular type of person like Remy Denton from House of Cards. You know, you have a few iconic lobbyist characters that you've seen on TV, but they always tend to be the same sort of very well-connected, really well-dressed, gorgeous, smooth, powerful person. The reality is there are thousands of registered lobbyists in Washington, and so you have a bunch of different types. And so I uh, did fictional versions of nine lobbyist archetypes types. And you have some, you know, like the Remy Denton type who are more powerful, but then I have what you call the bombshell, who's sort of a younger, attractive woman. Um, I've got uh, the part-time mommy lobbyist. I've got um, a MAGA flash in the pan. I've got a, a nonprofit lobbyist, a few different types. And, you know, uh, there's illustrations and everything. And uh, people inside the Beltway have gotten a real kick out of it. But I also think it's, it's entertaining for folks who are interested in DC, don't live here and maybe you want to get a little window into um, what this world is like. Uh, I think on the other end of the continuum, you know, the more serious side, I put a lot about my mom in the book because um, this is, isn't just a story about politics. It's a story about me and um, where I came from and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And my mom was an educator and I actually had her as my teacher, given that I went to, you know, these little Christian schools and she just had an enormous impact on 
on my life and um, why I am the way I am. And uh, the book is is also, I would say, a tribute to her and and the legacy that she's left. That's beautiful. Yeah, she sounded like a powerhouse. I mean, you, yes. you, and you had to you had to deal with whether to call her mom or you know Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Teacher. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's a great, yeah, she, she said, well, let's go with Mrs. Brown and because <laughs> other kids called her mom. So <laughs> I was going, mom. that's great. Now we're, we're going into the holiday season and of course we're going to have to, uh, dance delicately over the holiday table without putting our foot in our mouths when talking politics. What's your advice for that? Uh, my first piece of advice would be try to avoid it if you can. Uh, I, I tend to think that our relationships, especially with family, are so much more important than the politics of the day. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my mom mentioning to, to me that um, back in the early 70s, you know, they didn't talk politics and things got a little tense with my grandparents because of Nixon. And as a kid, it was unfathomable to me that that dynamic could come into play in a family where we all loved each other and were really close. And so I think have, keeping a sense of perspective that these issues that are super compelling, obviously, and do matter, but they're they're going to go away at a certain point, but your family is your family and you only get one of them. And so trying to preserve that above all else um, is, I think, an important thing to keep in mind. That being said, everybody has that uncle who can't turn Fox News off or, you know, the cousin who's got an AOC tattoo on their ankle and they're going to talk about it, right? And they don't want to change the subject. And I think in that situation, there's a few things to keep in mind. One, um, try and talk about principles and ideas and stay away from personal characterizations. I mean, you can phrase what you have to say uh, in terms of facts and not saying, gee, you need to listen to other sources of news. I don't know where you're getting that idea, but I can't believe you feel that way. You know, stay away from making it personal and make it about ideas to listen, you know, tr pretend you're a journalist and ask questions and try and figure out why they feel the way they do. Um, three, stay calm. You know, it's easy to get emotional, um, but just remember that, you know, you are people who are all supposed to love each other. Um, and then you know, just try and change the subject when you can. Um, and hopefully people can navigate through without any lasting damage and maybe learn a little from each other. Yeah, please pass potatoes. <laughs> exactly. My, Who's playing football today? <laughs> yeah, exactly. My guest has been Jamie Brown Hantman. She is the author of Heels in the Arena, Living Purple in a Red Town, Red Blue Town, Funny book. Pick it up. It is fantastic. Thank you so much for being on the show, Jamie. Well, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. I'm Sarah Spencer with Self Talk Radio Show. If you're a fan of Self Talk Radio Show, head out to our Facebook page, take a picture of yourself listening to the show, and you could win yourself a $25 gift card courtesy of Pure Energy Apothecary or one of our guests or sponsors. Thank you so much for listening to Self Talk Radio Show, mind-changing radio where you can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and of course at selftalkradioshow.com.